Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Trust me, friends. When I was a teenager, I saw plenty of softcore after midnight like I don't even want to call them porn movies because basically they were just like hard R's the on on HBO and on Cinemax after midnight just movies where like the women were topless the entire time and they had and the characters were always having sex with each other but you never saw anything really you just saw we used to call it bumping and grinding that's all you saw in the film that's what what happens in 50 shades of gray it feels like the most expensive softcore porn movie I've ever seen Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Looking for a Netflix recommendation that's worth two hours of your time? Or a forgotten album that's worth picking up on iTunes? OverdueReview.com is your destination for unbiased, unpretentious, thoughtful opinions on movies, TV, and music from every era. OverdueReview.com. Better late. Welcome, friends, to the Stream Police Podcast, where we sift through all the garbage out there in the media wasteland and tell you the things right now that are streaming in theaters, on television, on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever they're at. We're finding them, and we're telling you about them right here on the show. I'm Clint Davis, Movies and TV Editor at OverdueReview.com. I know a lot of you like the uh, the show here, obviously, if you are a regular subscriber, regular listener, but uh, if you if you want more... In the days that we don't have shows, go to the website. Check it out. We've got hundreds of uh, reviews, in-depth reviews of uh, movies, some television reviews, mostly movies and music, though. Um, and our music editor, Andy Sedlak, handles the music portion. He'll be talking to you about some tunes later on in the program. Welcome into the show, though, guys. Let me go ahead and light my stogie up here as I'm sitting in my closet in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, let's get right to it. We've got a lot of things to talk about. I've been watching a lot of TV lately, a lot of movies in theaters, as I've been telling you for the last uh, couple months. My award season push is finally coming to an end. On the next edition of The Stream Police, I'll be talking to you a lot about the Oscars. I'll be making some of my own picks and telling you, finally, my top 10 movies of 2015, which, spoiler, you can go ahead and check those out at OverdueReview.com if you want to, but if you want to hear me talk about them, just uh, check out next week's edition. But let's get to it. A lot of things to talk about uh, this week, including a live musical on Fox, uh, a, a great-looking new comedy with a lot of promise on TBS, who are kind of uh, shape-shifting their reputation in the cable uh, television world, and also a very intriguing show about one of the most intriguing legal cases of the last uh, 20 years, if not the most intriguing legal case of the last 20 years. All that's coming up later on 
in the program. I want to start off, though, uh, as we're here in February, it's Black History Month, even though you wouldn't know it by watching the Oscars. Uh, we um, th- There are a lot of uh, good, well, actually, you know, if, if I say a lot, honestly, I think I'm, I think it's a stretch. There are not a lot. There are not a lot of great black movies. And when I say black movies, I mean movies directed by starring black actors, uh, directed by black directors, produced by black producers, um, That movies that are really about the African-American experience. There are not a ton of those around, you know, even at the video store. So let alone on Netflix with the very limited selection that you have there. There aren't a ton of them, but I did find... I found a, a a good list of films that that are about the African American experience that are made by African American filmmakers starring African American actors and very well done ones that are on Netflix right now and I I picked four of those that I just wanted to give you recommendations for as we get into Black History Month and if there is something that you are looking to watch right now these are good movies it doesn't matter if it's Black History Month or not I don't care if it's February if it's December January when, whenever it is. Uh, check these check these movies out there. They're all good ones to add to your list. First one I want to talk about is a movie uh, on Netflix right now called Fruitvale Station. This was a film that came out in 2013. I saw it in 2013 in theaters, and uh, it made me cry in theaters. It's one of the last movies that I can remember doing that as I'm watching a movie on the big screen and, and, and tearing up. I mean, this movie was a tragedy in every sense of the word. It was based on a true story, and the film was directed by Ryan Coogler, who's uh, one of my favorite up-and-coming uh, up and coming directors. He's a, a fairly young guy. He directed this film, Fruitvale Station, and then most recently he directed Creed, the uh, Rocky Balboa reboot that got a whole lot of love. And uh, both of those movies actually star Michael B. Jordan. So you can tell these two guys are kind of, maybe they're going to be like the Scorsese and De Niro of black cinema, which I think is a, a really exciting prospect. Maybe like Spike Lee, Denzel Washington used to be back in the day. But Fruitvale Station um, is about a case that happened, I I don't remember the exact year, I want to say it was the early 2000s, in uh, Oakland, California, where a young black man um, was killed by transit police officers, um, and the whole thing was filmed on cell phone video, and this movie recreates the last day of this guy's life, and the, the kid's played by Michael B. Jordan, his name's Oscar. Um, and you really get into this character. You really dive deep into this character. And then, obviously, you know his life's going to end, but it doesn't take away the blow at all when it actually does happen. And they framed, Kugler framed the entire, uh, the slaying of Oscar based on cell phone video that existed of the actual incident. So the entire thing was framed um as it actually have staged as it actually happened. So it just adds to the realism, adds to the impact. But uh, Fruitvale Station, I reviewed it over com. You can read a, a long review of it there if you'd like. I, I reviewed it after I first saw it, gave it four and a half out of five stars. Absolutely loved that movie. And it is right now on Netflix. Could not recommend it more. It's called Fruitvale Station. Really weird name. It's based on the uh, the stop on the, the transit line where he was killed by those police officers. Uh, second one I want to recommend on Netflix now for Black History Month, a six-hour PBS documentary series called The African Americans, Many Rivers to Cross. Um, it's exhaustive. It was done by a, a history professor at Harvard, and interviewees include a lot of other history experts, professors um, on civil rights, on black history. And this movie really covers the entire Entire, and this is going to sound like hyperbole, but it covers the entire African-American experience up to Barack Obama's second 
uh, election. So it doesn't just go to his first election. It goes to his reelection. That's how uh, recent this film was. And uh, it covered all that stuff. So obviously it's not going to hit Ferguson and it's not going to hit Trayvon Martin. And, and, and the recent really big things that have happened, um, really big moments like Black Lives Matter in, in uh, the African-American experience. But it does cover a whole lot of ground, a couple hundred years of uh, African-American history. Uh, right there in that film. It is called The African Americans, Many Rivers to Cross. And again, it's a PBS documentary, six hours long. So it's a long one, but uh, as with all those PBS uh, uh, docs, it's 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 worth watching very much, uh, worth your time, even though there's a lot of it. Uh, a third one I want to recommend for you. This is a Sundance indie darling that came out again, I believe it was 2013. It's a movie called Pariah. And as the title would tell you, this is a movie about someone who feels like they do not belong in society, like they're not welcome in society, and not even welcomed by their own family. This movie's not only about a teenage black girl, but she happens to also be a lesbian. And so she she feels she feels left out by society just from being a black teenage girl. Uh, growing up, coming of age, as we all do when we're teenagers, but, you know, compounded when you're a minority. And then throw on top of it she's a lesbian her mother does not approve of this so even at home she can't really be herself so th- this movie kind of kind of landed like uh an, an anvil in sundance and that uh, that sounds bad i didn't mean it to sound bad but it, it it hits with a ton of weight is what i mean to say there um and, and this is you know again a little short film not a short film, but it's it's short in length, and it's uh, it, it came out at Sundance a couple of years ago. It's called Pariah, and it is now on Netflix. That's another good one if you want to watch uh, a nice little indie drama kind of about the African-American experience in a more modern frame. Um, and then finally, one more for Black History Month that's on Netflix now. This is a, uh, this is a short movie. It's 60 minutes long, and it's part of ESPN's fantastic Emmy-winning 30 for 30 series. It's a movie called Ghosts of Old Miss. Uh, and the the film follows the 1962 uh, season of Ole Miss football. They went undefeated that year, but it's about way more than that. It's about 1962 at the University of Mississippi, which was the year that they integrated. It was when James Meredith, the first black student at Ole Miss, came to uh, came to the campus, and he was subsequently shot. He did not die, but he was shot on campus. And they had security, they had federal marshals escorting him from class to class. I mean, this is as tense a situation as you could ever imagine. And it's all really summed up very well in this very focused. I love documentaries that are focused so tight on one thing. 60 minutes, that's what's so good about these 30 for 30s. They do 60 minutes on one thing, and that's the way this is. 62 at Ole Miss, you get a lot of history in here. You get a little bit of sports, but it's really not a sports movie, even though that ESPN 30 for 30 label is on it. Just a great movie about uh, race relations, especially during the Civil Rights era, um, and a, a really, really, um, you know, just tumultuous time in our history, and it's one that you, do, you don't want to forget about. So Ghosts of Ole Miss, 30 for 30, that is also on Netflix right now. Four films for you for Black History Month, if you want to go over and check those out. And of course, four is not that many, and it's really not doing justice to black filmmakers, but those are honestly the best ones that I've seen that are on Netflix uh, right now. And I, I, lurked, <laughs> I looked through all of Netflix. I searched every keyword term I could think of uh, in the search box there, and those are the best ones. I was doing my, doing my work for you here uh, at the Stream Police podcast as your chief. 
All right, let's get to theaters. Uh, let's talk about a movie that won Best Picture at the Golden Globes, and a lot of people are thinking it's a favorite to win Best Picture at the Oscars in just a couple weeks, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hardy, and Donal Gleason. Directed by Alejandro Inarritu and the screenplay written by Inarritu and Mark L. Smith, who did Vacancy and The Hole, it's The Revenant, and it is right now in theaters. The Revenant was just okay in my book. I didn't walk away from this one feeling like, man, that's got to win Best Picture. That needs to that, that needs to get it done. I can, I can totally see why the Golden Globes gave it all the love in the world and why it beat... Uh, my true favorite film of the year, Spotlight. I, I just I didn't understand it. I was bored by this movie through most of its runtime, which is pretty long. It's like a little bit over two and a half hours long. All right, two and a half hours long, but it felt longer than that. I, I told you a couple weeks ago on the show about the Hateful Eight, Quentin Tarantino's latest film. I told you how much I loved that movie. I was so I, I just enjoyed the the dialogue immensely, and it, that movie was over three hours long. It was three hours and some change. So it was like 30 minutes longer than The Revenant, but The Revenant felt way longer than The Hateful Eight did. It just felt long. I mean, it just felt like I was in the theater forever watching this thing. The movie's beautiful, all right? Cinematography, you could talk about that all day long. I, I'm sitting there, and I, I said this to my wife after we watched The Revenant. It's like I'm so jaded by CGI uh, and special effects these days. That when I see a beautiful landscape shot in a movie like The Revenant, I'm sitting there looking at it in theaters, and it's like I'm thinking to myself, like, God, the animators just did a great job on this. It looks so real. But then, like, I, I, like a couple seconds later, it hits me, oh, my God, this probably is real. This is no, I don't think it's CGI. They shot this film on location in, like, Montana. Um, and this is, just, this, is the, this is real nature here. This is beautiful. Um, but I just go into every film assuming that everything's shot on a green screen, that it's like hard for me to take a movie that's got real scenery in it, especially that's as stunning as the scenery in this movie. Now, the best part about The Revenant, without question, is Leonardo DiCaprio's performance, which is great. And I, I have picked him to win the Oscar for Best Actor in a Leading Role this year, I think not only because this performance is really good, but also because of his great career. He could have won an Oscar several times already, should have won one with The Aviator a few uh, years, more than a decade ago now. Um, but th they're finally going to give it to him, I think, with The Revenant. And, it, and he's earned it. This, he does a great job in this movie. Most of his performance is done without words. Um, he is unable to speak, his character is, for a lot of this film because he gets attacked by a bear, is a scene that you may have seen uh, in the trailers. But he gets attacked by a bear very early on, and, and the bear basically rips his throat out, so he, like, can't talk until basically the end of the movie. So we, we, a, a solid, like, hour and a half of this film goes by without DiCaprio really saying anything. He's just kind of drooling and spitting a lot uh, in, in, in anger and, you know, having relief whenever he gets food. And um, it's just, it's, it's a it's a deep performance, and I think it was it was a really it had to be a hard one to do for DiCaprio. This is like a troubled guy who's lost everything, whose his only will to survive basically out in the wilderness is wanting to get revenge and wanting to avenge his son's death. I'm not really blowing anything here; it's all in the trailers. But what happens? The storyline of the film is uh, here: we are we're in 1800s frontier America, and um, Leonardo DiCaprio is leading a group of men who are uh, collecting pelts and furs uh, to basically, you know, be able to make money off of them. They're out on this expedition, and um, they're 
being attacked by Native Americans and they're attacking Native Americans. And there, there's all kinds of things happening and the group's being pulled apart at the threads, basically. Um, and when some severe snow comes in, the group has to split up. So Leonardo DiCaprio gets attacked by a bear. So he's bringing the entire group down. So Tom Hardy is like basically the biggest asshole you've ever seen in a movie. This guy has no redeeming qualities. He's a pure villain in every sense of the word. Everything he does makes you hate him. The guy never has a moment of humanity in the entire film. So it's very one note, but Hardy does a nice job in it because you really do hate him. (laughs) Just a few minutes into the movie, it doesn't even take you long to hate this guy, and you hate him for the entire film with a passion, and you're so much on Leo's side. Uh, But they leave him, he leaves Leo for dead, and he kills Leo's son, who was the only thing Leo was living for in this entire shitty world. So this guy trudges across the tundra um, with, you know, like a broken leg and everything else just to get back to this group of guys who left him, and especially Tom Hardy, and exact his revenge. And whether he does it or not, that's the entire uh, point of the film. So it's 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 kind of a brutal movie, definitely. It's a back-to-nature film, kind of in the tradition of a Jeremiah Johnson, but it's not romantic about nature like that film was. Jeremiah Johnson with Robert Redford, that movie made you want to go out to the woods. This movie, The Revenant, does not make you want to go out to the woods. It makes you glad that you've got a home to go back to or a car to sit in after the film's over and sit with the heat on whenever you want to in a closet full of clothing. So uh, it's, you know, The Revenant just really didn't do it for me as a best picture winner. It was certainly a good film, well made. Inuritu does a great job again, but this isn't like Birdman. When I saw Birdman last year, I'm like, man, this is best picture. I was glad that it won best picture because it was truly, of the nominees last year, the best film that was nominated. Um, but I don't feel that way about The Revenant. I, I, I didn't put it in my top ten uh, for the year. So basically... A handful of the other nominees are ones that I would rather see win Best Picture, and I'm still going to stick with Spotlight all the way. That, to me, is the best movie of 2015 and is still waiting to be knocked off the perch, and I don't think it will be. But go see The Revenant if you want to see intense acting from Leonardo DiCaprio. you got some time to spare, and you love looking at the wilderness of you know western United States, under, undeveloped United States, untapped land. Uh, nature lovers will really like parts of this film, but it's brutal. It's definitely brutal in sections. It's in theaters right now. I'm afraid to die anymore. I've done it already. All right, let me move on to talk about a film that I, I saw at the tail end of 2015 that came out in 2015 that I liked more than The Revenant, and I did put it in my top ten. This movie is called Sicario. It was directed by French uh, French Canadian director Denis Villeneuve, who did Prisoners before, which a lot of people loved Prisoners, and I did not. Man, I just I thought Prisoners was overwrought and also kind of dull, and I just I didn't get the allure of Prisoners even after I watched it. Screenplay was written by Taylor Sheridan. This was actually his first screenplay, and it stars Emily Blunt, Benicio del Toro, and Josh Brolin. Again, it's called Sicario. Uh, this film takes place uh, it, it's it's again out west. We're uh, basically in the uh, southwestern United States in New Mexico and also into Mexico, and this is kind of about the border war, but really about the Mexican drug cartels and uh, a, 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 a shadow war that the CIA is fighting against these cartels that are just, these are brutal people. Um, and the CIA sinks down to their level and is 
pretty much as brutal as the drug runners are, as we find out in this film. Emily Blunt plays like this starry-eyed um, FBI agent who ends up joining up with this uh, like shadowy group led by Josh Brolin and Benicio del Toro. They tell her they need her uh, because of her you know great investigative skills and you know her hard-nosed attitude and. She ends up finding out kind of later that that's really a lie, and they're just using her the entire time. So Sicario is like a gut punch movie, but I re- I loved this movie. I thought it was really intense. It was like it reminded me a little bit like the feeling of it was kind of like Heat or like a Michael Mann film. If you you know if you like movies like The Heat and the in- and The Insider, this this kind of feels that way. Not the heat, but heat, uh, just to be clear on that. And it was also kind of, it had a little bit of like a Steven Soderbergh traffic kind of feel to it. The music was awesome. It, it got nominated for an Oscar for a couple things. One of them was the score, and I really loved the score of this movie. It just kind of droned along. It was one of those like just electronic ones that just lulls you through the action. And everything in the movie is so like in your face as far as the violence goes, as far as um, you know, the acting goes. Benicio del Toro is playing a part that really was written for him. This is the kind of part that you think of Benicio del Toro specifically playing. He's very intense, broods a lot, um, intimidating as hell. I mean, he's one of those guys that, and I even said this after you know my wife and I watched this movie. I'm like, I would. There are, you know, some actors would intimidate you to work with. Benicio Del Toro, I think, would be at the top of that list. Like, if I was an actor, and even if I was a good actor, I think being in a film with him, in a in a scene with him, one-on-one, as Emily Blunt shares a lot of scenes with him where he tries to intimidate her in this movie, I think you would be, like, shaking to be in a movie with him. Maybe he's like this big teddy bear and he's a nice guy, but, God, he just seems so damn dialed in in every performance you've seen him in, in you, that you see him in. And I, I just love him dearly. Uh, Josh Brolin plays like kind of this weird, uh, he, he's like a guy basically running the show. He's got the shakiest moral compass you could imagine. Um, but I think he's good at his job. And, and in some ways, he's like kind of a weird hippie, doesn't wear shoes and things like that. Uh, but Emily Blunt really was the one that blew my mind in this movie because she stood out so much. I, I've never been a huge fan of hers in anything. I, the, I think the best performance of hers that I remember just off the top of my head seeing her in was Edge of Tomorrow, the movie with Tom Cruise that came out uh, in 2014, which I thought was a really cool movie. And she was good in that. And she was showing that she could be an action star. This movie takes that even further. Her performance in this reminded me um, of Jessica Chastain in Zero Dark Thirty. It was that same kind of character, very driven female law enforcement um, who just wants to take down the bad guys. That's all she wants. She's not interested in the politics. She's not interested in playing games. She is by the book. And that's what's, that was what was really interesting about the story of Sicario. We've all seen the movie a hundred times and the TV show a hundred times. That's about a cop who is like the, the loose cannon. Everybody wants him to play by the rules, but he doesn't want to play by the rules. Like John McClane from Die Hard. Uh, but he always gets the job done, even though he bends the rule book and he flips off his bosses. Emily Blunt's character in this, as the lead, is like the total opposite. She is totally by the books in a system that has flipped the middle finger to the books. And she's not interested in breaking the law. And she wants to follow the law to the letter. That's why she studied it. That's why she went into law enforcement and not become and didn't become a criminal. Um, but the people that are kind of pulling the strings for her, her bosses in the agency and in the FBI are making her question uh, all the methods that she was taught and the ones that she's been following. It's a, it's a, a really interesting take on 
the investigation and the drug movie and, and like the crime movie genre. And Sicario was like one of the most hard nosed movies of 2015. I felt like this. Uh, I really enjoyed this one. Good R rated crime film. Um, and it, it, it wasn't like over the top in any ways. It was just a good watch. And I really enjoyed it all the way through. So uh, Sicario right now is out on DVD. It's nominated for a couple of Oscars, not the big ones. Uh, but I, I put it in my top ten of 2015. I thought it was outstanding. Loved this movie. Where were you sent from? Cartagena. Colombia. Listen. Nothing will make sense to your American ears. And you will doubt everything that we do. But in the end, you will understand. Is he CIA? Or you? He's a DOD advisor, just like me. No, he's not. But just pay attention to Alejandro, and if he says do something, just do it. I'm not authorized to follow orders from Alejandro, especially in Mexico. Fine, then stay here. But you don't want to, do you? I just want to know what I'm getting into. All right, now real quick, let me get to a movie that I did not love at all. In fact, it's one of the worst ones I think I've ever seen uh, that came out in 2015. It's Fifty Shades of Grey, and it is on HBO Go right now streaming and also on DVD. It's pre- Hell, it might be on your shelf. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, who's like this, she's got all this artistic cred. All right, she's a 48-year-old woman, been uh, in, in filmmaking for a while. She did a movie a couple years ago called, uh, ago called Nowhere Boy, which is about the life of a young John Lennon. She, this woman has survived cancer twice. She's, uh, like I said, a heavyweight in like the artistic community, and she directed this piece of garbage. Uh, the writer for the uh, film adaptation here was Kelly Marcel, who is also a pretty heavyweight screenwriter. She did the screenplay for Saving Mr. Banks, which I thought was a pretty charming movie, and really had the you know tough job of handling a character that is so ingrained in the American imagination as Walt Disney, and I thought it handled him well. So, again, we've got a good writer. We've got a good female director here, but both females, writer and director, doing this movie that turns out to be a complete piece of crap. The film starred Dakota Johnson, the uh, daughter of Melanie Griffith. She uh, most recently acted in Black Mass with Johnny Depp, and I thought she was great in Black Mass, I have to say. I was really impressed with her in that film. Uh, and it also co-stars Jamie Dornan, who was in uh, Marie Antoinette, the Sofia Coppola movie, and in BBC and Netflix's show The Fall with Gillian Anderson. So Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, everything that you've heard about this movie, as far as it winning Razzies and just being a horrible film, it's all true. Uh, really awful all the way through. Now, granted, I didn't read the book, so I don't know how I don't know how good the source material was, but um, I don't recall that book winning any uh, winning any Pulitzers or anything like that. Or anyone really talking about how great the writing was. It was kind of just like, it was a one-note pony. And yeah, this movie's got plenty of sex scenes in it, but they're really, they're not sexy sex scenes. Um, and they're just really cheesy. It's like, I've, I saw plenty of, trust me, friends, when I was a teenager, I saw plenty of softcore, after-midnight, 
you know, like I don't even want to call them porn movies because basically they were just like hard R's the, on, on HBO and on Cinemax after midnight. Just movies where like the women were topless the entire time and they had and the characters were always having sex with each other, but you never saw anything really. You just saw we used to call it bumping and grinding. That's all you saw in the film. That's what, what happens in Fifty Shades of Grey. It feels like the most expensive softcore porn movie I've ever seen. And it does look expensive. Um but, I mean, just the acting is so cheesy. The writing is so on the nose. Um, it's straight out of, like, just a bad romance novel. And it's got all this S&M stuff. It's very confusing because, I mean, you know, I, I can't tell if this movie, if it wants to be feminist. I mean, it was the book was written by a woman. The movie's directed by a, a woman who's a very serious artist. The screenplay's written by a woman. You would think that this would be this great feminist tale, you know, about... It is somewhat about exploring your sexuality and things like that, I guess. But, you know, really, this girl kind of gets treated like a dog for the entire film. And I, I just didn't understand at all why this character, the guy in the movie, uh, Christian Grey, who's like this bill, young self-made billionaire, why he would be interested in the girl who's like this bookish uh, virgin, uh, college student, young girl who interviews him for the school paper. And she's like the worst interviewer of all time. Um, so that kind of goes back to my thing about female journalists interviewing people and sleeping with them, although she wasn't technically a journalist. Uh, but, you know, that's an old pet peeve of mine. I've talked about on this show many times. Uh, but I, I just I didn't get why he would be interested in her at all. But he pursues her so hard and he pursues her enough to make three films out of this crap. So uh, this, I just couldn't believe it. My, my wife and I were laughing so hard watching this movie the entire time, just basically making fun of the dialogue and everything else. So, you know, it, it could be a funny watch for you, but if you're going into this expecting something good, look elsewhere. It's just, there's nothing good about this movie. I had nothing good to say about it um, at all. Uh, it's just, it's kind of, it's an expensive skin flick. That's basically all it is, but it's not even a good skin flick because you don't even see anything. And the, and the sex is all so violent that it's hard to enjoy it. So 50 shades of gray is right now on HBO go streaming for you. If you're a subscriber to HBO and it's also on DVD and Blu-ray. Why am I here, Christian? You're here because I'm incapable of leaving you alone. Then don't listen to me. I don't do romance. My tastes are very singular. You wouldn't understand. Enlighten me then. All right, I'm going to go ahead and hit pause for a second, toss things over to our music editor, Andy Sedlak, and we'll find out what tunes he's got piping through the earbuds this week. Take it away, Andy. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, what's up, guys? My name is Andy Sedlak. I'm the music editor over at OverdueReview.com. A lot of good stuff on the website lately. Uh, I think it looks pretty good. We're real proud of it. Uh, Anyway, hey, let me get right into the monster release of the past couple weeks, a collaboration between Coldplay and Beyonce. It's called Him for the Weekend. And it's on Coldplay's new album. I think that was released back in December. At any rate, it's called A Head Full of Dreams. So, confession out of the gate. I immediately looked past this song for the simple fact that Beyonce was on the track. What's up with that? She's one of the greats, right? Well, it's because I felt like I knew what Beyonce could do, and that really no longer interested me. Yeah, that kind of thing. But in truth... Beyonce is hardly featured on this track. It could really be any backing singer featured here. It's not Beyonce specific. It's really a pretty hardcore Coldplay track. And Coldplay is a band that I think has gotten more interesting over the years. I mean, it definitely has. So forget about the haters. The New York Times once branded the Mellow Rockers the most insufferable band of the decade. The simple truth is that him for the weekend sounds like no other Coldplay single before it, yet it sounds like every Coldplay single that came before it. That's not a criticism, not in this case anyway. Here's what I mean. It's a sign of an artist with an identity. Here, let me play you a clip. So I think it was around 2007, Coldplay began to hold my interest. That was something they did not do before. It started with a record called Viva La Vida. That was really the dividing line. If you play me Coldplay music released before Viva La Vida, you'll catch me daydreaming. Starting with that record, though, I really began to listen. That was an interesting record. In my opinion, they've stayed interesting ever since. You can keep yellow. Yeah, they were all yellow. I have no interest in that version of Coldplay, that early or their early stuff i'll take their later stuff chris martin has only become a better writer and the drums have played an increasingly prominent role in Coldplay's sound props to will champion that is their drummer for pounding out a more impactful identity for Coldplay. Him for the weekend is cool, not because of Beyonce, but because 
Coldplay has maintained the energy that's made them great in recent years. Yeah, great. I mean that. And yeah, whether it's mainstream or not, it's got soul, right? That's what we're all after. Commercial sensibilities, those are intact, okay? But so is that soul, and that is the important thing. You may have noticed it's hard to get people to agree on country music. You either can't stand mainstream country or you won't listen to anything but mainstream country. And the folks on one side of the fence don't often hang out with the folks on the other side of the fence. It's not easy to get those two sides to agree on an artist. Chris Stapleton, okay. Purist and mainstreamers agree there. But Casey Musgraves, not yet. Sunvolt, not yet. Jason Aldean, let me tell you something. My friends wouldn't be caught dead listening to Jason Aldean. But I think I found a band that could make everyone pretty happy. The band is called Lanco. It's short for Lancaster and Company, the lead singer, main songwriter. His name is Brandon Lancaster. They're a group of young guys, but they're working with uh, people who don't mess around. One of them, Jay Joyce, he produces all of Eric Church's stuff. So what do they sound like? They sound like um, like a like a John Hughes script <laughs> set to country with a side of uh, Walk the Moon. Because now that I say that, uh, that makes them sound like hell. That's uh, not the greatest description, perhaps, in the history of music criticism. A, <laughs> a description like that might actually hurt their chances of breaking through. Uh, here's what I mean. They always go for the big moment. And I think they do it in a human and in an honest way. And I like that. So sit back. I'm going to play a couple minutes of this cut called American Love Story. They said I was nothing but a troublemaker Never up to no good Perfect out American girl wouldn't touch me even if you could. But you were sneaking out your window every night, riding shotgun in my car. We go to the river and find a spot, and we probably went a little too far, just a little too far. Cause I was gonna be your forever. Again, that's called uh, American Love Story. It ends with a white picket fence. So evidently, (laughs) these are not men of irony. Grit, that's something that may come with maturity. Their first single, it's called Long Live Tonight. 
That'll drop soon. Expect big things to follow. But remember, this is their debut. This is their first chapter. The long-term joy is in riding along as an artist develops. It's been a while uh, since I've caught on to a band like that, where I caught them early and buckled in. Lanco is already further along than most of the assembly line acts in country music. I think they have brains. And there's a touch for detail in the songwriting that can rock an arena, but not in a Jason Aldean sort of way. There's more than pyro here. Lanco passes the eye test so far. So keep an eye out for them. Stream their stuff. I think they'll be fun to ride the river with. Rihanna has a new album out. It is called Anti. The first single is called Work. Drake is on the track. will say that the song does not make an immediate impact it could sink in over time a lot of songs have a way of doing that uh, but it's been four years since she released an album and the lead single on her quote-unquote comeback does not announce her presence out of the gate I've always been a fan of her work uh, so I will listen to the rest of the album over the next couple weeks that is the only track I have heard so far She's not one of the untouchables, mind you, but I'm a fan. Are you familiar with that term, by the way, untouchables? They are the bands or artists that just have that body of work where you will listen to anything they've ever done, and you'll listen to anything they'll ever do. These are the musicians who are really like home base. Like I, I listen to a lot of music, but my tastes don't change every week. At the end of the day, I have a home base. I have artists that I keep going back to. I always have. Those are my untouchables, and I'll rattle them off. You ready? Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, Billy Joel, The Stones, Jackson Brown, Warren Zevon, Tom Waits, probably John Hyatt, Kanye West, way, way, way up there. Hank Williams, too. Um, I mean, Hank Williams Sr., Anyway, those are artists whose entire catalog intrigues me. Every step, every phase, I'll listen to all of it. I'm fascinated by the careers these musicians have put together. Who are your untouchables? The bands that can do no wrong. You're in and you're in deep. Who are they? Shoot me an email. Sedlakjournal at gmail.com. S-E-D-L-A-K. The word journal, I'll squish together at gmail.com. And we've discussed this, but there's no need to be embarrassed by your untouchables. Uh... If they are, they are. This is music that makes you happy. Enjoy it. We get too caught up in justifying why music works for us. Proving uh, that we're right to listen to it. That's utterly ridiculous. If it works for you, it works for you. Who are they? Who are your untouchables? Shoot me an email. Again, there's no need to defend the music that makes the most sense to you. Quick quiz before I go. Name the song that these lyrics are from. Loneliness has found a home in me. My suitcase and my guitar are my only family. I've tried to need someone like they needed me. I opened up my heart, but all I did was bleed. 
Is it Springsteen, Neil Young, Neil Diamond? Let me give you a little more. I don't need no lover just to get screwed. They don't make a bandage that's going to cover my bruise. Who is it? Yeah, that's Bon Jovi. It's called Something for the Pain. It was released as a single back in the fall of 1995. It wasn't really all that successful, so I would have been surprised if you knew it. It peaked at like number 76 that September, I think is what I remember when I looked that up. But I've been listening to it. And the album that it's on like crazy. The record is called These Days. It's known as Bon Jovi's uh, darkest moment musically and also perhaps its most defiant. Uh, The kings of mall rock sort of got real in the grunge era. Maybe they were inspired by a, a certain rawness in the air at the time, but it fit them well. The title track, Dynamite. Singing on songs about change. Everybody's got their cross to bear these days. As is a song that, that got the ball rolling, it was called Something to Believe in, and it's just an emotional jackhammer. If you're a Bon Jovi hater, call it a hunch, but I feel like maybe a few of them listen to this podcast, uh, give this record a try. Um, They were never as real as what they were on this album, which is now 21 years old. Um, It was a defining moment indeed. All right, friends, we are building the greatest playlist of all time. I think we're up to over 100 selections now. Here's five more to add to the list. First, Private Dancer by Tina Turner. Then, I'm Bad by Bo Diddley. I still be a... I'm bad. Don't mess with me. Third, Youngin' by Fabulous. Holla back, Youngin'. Holla back. Holla back, Youngin'. Holla back. <laughs> you forgot about that one, didn't you? Uh, then, Back to December by Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah. why not? Lastly, one of my favorite uh, songs of all time, truly one of my all-time favorites, it's Angel in Blue by the Jay Giles Band. 
All right, that's it. Now I'll leave you with the words of the great Kinky Friedman. A genius is someone who's ahead of their time and behind on their rent. Till next time, I'll see you. All right, thank you very much, Andy. Appreciate it, as always. All right, let me light my stogie back up here. All right, back in business here on the Stream Police Podcast. Once again, Clint Davis, film and TV editor over at OverdueReview.com. I urge you to go over and check out the website whenever you got a free minute if you uh, like the things that we talk about here on the show i think you'll i think you'll dig the website it's even more in-depth reviews of kind of older films um and well i mean current ones as well i've got right now on the home page uh review i wrote of the aviator martin scorsese's movie with leo dicaprio and uh review of the big short which is one of the best picture nominees this year and actually it won the pga um not not the golf award but the uh, producers guild Best Picture Award, and that usually is a good predictor of who's going to win Best Picture, but I don't think they're going to get it right this year. But got my review of The Big Short up right now at OverdueReview.com. Uh, let me talk about a, a a TV show I watched since the last time we spoke that a lot of you probably watched as well. But I, w- I wanted to hate this thing, and I was even like kind of begrudgingly going to watch it. But, man, I had a blast watching this on Fox. It was Grease Live. They took the musical Grease and the movie, combined them together, and put them on Fox live in front of a a studio audience, actually, and a television audience. It was directed. This massive extravaganza was directed by Thomas Kale, the guy who did Broadway's smash hit Hamilton, and co-directed by Alex Rudzinski, who has directed episodes of Dancing with the Stars and The X Factor and some other similar shows like that. So he's got a lot of experience working on Fox and ABC and working in reality TV and working on, you know, kind of complicated, staged television shows. It starred Julianne Huff, Vanessa Hudgens, and Aaron Tavet in the uh, top roles. Huff was uh, Sandy, the Olivia Newton-John character from the movie. Vanessa Hudgens played Rizzo, arguably the most complicated and prickly character in the uh, film played by Stockard Channing. And Aaron Tavet played Danny Zuko, the character made famous by John Travolta in the movie Grease. I always loved the movie Grease. When I was a kid, I watched it a lot. I, I watched it, I'm telling you, I think I watched that movie at least once a month on VHS um, when I was a, a young kid. I just loved the songs. I thought the costumes were cool. I thought uh, I thought the girls were cute. I thought, especially uh, Frenchie, I just, I had a huge crush on Frenchie. I'm not really sure. I, I never, it wasn't Olivia Newton-John that got me going. It was Frenchie always, but just loved the songs. thought the guys were cool. Um, and I, I just I liked the movie a lot. It was one of those movies that years later, as I grew up and I thought about the lyrics and stuff, I'm like, my God, how, why did my mom let me watch this movie all the time? Like, why did I mean I was 10 years old watching this movie about the chicks will cream for grease lightning and it's a real pussy wagon. I mean, these are th- these are lyrics to songs. Of this I'm probably like singing them and I didn't even know what I was saying. But I, I freaking love that movie. So they're doing it live on Fox. Just they're kind of ripping off NBC, who had the monopoly on these live musicals. NBC, if you have been paying attention, has done three of these already. They did The Sound of Music with Carrie Underwood. They did Peter Pan with Allison Williams playing Peter Pan, and uh, they also did uh, The Wiz with uh, basically an all-black cast, as it should be on that one. And 
Um, the Wiz got great reviews. The other two, I, I didn't really pay attention to how the reviews were just because I thought the whole idea was so weird. And and just it was strange, but you got to admit now, NBC on Foresight had a great idea in doing these live musicals. Nobody's doing live TV anymore, right? I mean, because everyone wants to watch everything on Hulu. So this is a great way to do something live, get advertisers on board. It's a one-time event. If you don't watch it live, it loses a lot of its luster. If you're watching it on DVR, um, and it's just it's an experience. Really, everybody around the country can be in the theater at the same time watching this musical. I didn't watch any of the NBC ones. I will admit that right now. But I watched Grease Live and I loved it. I thought it was so much fun and I thought the whole spectacle of the production, just from a production standpoint, from directing this thing, putting it together, was outstanding. They they shot it. The NBC ones if I understand correctly, were shot basically like standard musicals. They were on a stage. They changed the sets out, brought out new sets, and and you know it was it was like you were watching a play on one stage. But the way Fox did it was the actors had to go from sound studio to sound studio. It was shot on I think Warner Brothers movie production lot and they had all these sets already set up and between numbers like in commercial breaks they were riding on golf carts going from set to set changing clothes and it was just it was really cool because all the sets looked very good it looked like a million bucks the whole way through and it looked kind of like old hollywood as well because we're shooting it on these obvious sound stages um, instead of kind of making it look like a, a theater play. So it kind of had that old Hollywood musical sound of music, um, singing in the rain kind of charm to it. Um, but also it was just a lot of fun because it's Grease. And I, I really thought the actors did a nice job. I was surprised at how much I, I enjoyed Julianne Huff. Um, I thought she really looked the part. I mean, she looked really good uh, as playing Sandy. I mean, just really, really good. And she she danced well, as you would expect her to. And I, you know, I thought she sang pretty well. Um, she didn't blow me away with her vocals. But, you know, she she certainly handled herself in some of these big numbers, like Hopelessly Devoted to You and um, you know, you're the one that I want, and, and uh, you know, some are loving these the, the numbers that Sandy really sings on. Uh, the one that stole all the headlines. I didn't really, I didn't like Aaron Tavet that much. I thought he was pretty boring as Zuko. I certainly didn't think he was as good as Travolta, even though I wasn't trying to compare him to him. Just he didn't really do it for me. He's he's a he's got a musical background, very legit musical background. The one who stole all the headlines that was Vanessa Hudgens. I mean, she was already coming in, probably arguably the biggest star in the production. Um, but her father died like 24 hours before they did this massive live production on TV. And she goes on and nails the part of Rizzo and, and she nails the, the, she nails the comedic lines. She does the, you know, the, the great musical numbers. Rizzo doesn't have a lot of them, but you know, she does the drama, which there's a lot of it with Rizzo, um, some internal conflict. And I just, I was impressed with how Vanessa Hudgens did this. I I think this is going to be one of those, like, next level career launching performances that we're going to see her in more things and maybe be taken more seriously now after people have seen how she performed under the greatest duress that you could really imagine as someone as young as she is um, and on live TV in front of tons of people. This thing got huge ratings um, and it was just it was really well done. I, I think right now they've got it streaming at Fox's website. If you did miss it, I certainly recommend going and watching it if musicals are your thing. Now it's cheesy as hell, but what do you expect? It's a musical on network television. Definitely cheesy, uh, but just fun to watch. And some of the uh, supporting cast uh, players did a great job. The dancing was really cool. And uh, if you watch it, you know, without commercials, it's going to be a little bit shorter. It was three hours 
on live TV. But I had I had fun watching it just because it was live TV again, and I love live TV. I miss it dearly. Um, and I, they just they did a great job with the production, and all the actors showed up. So I give uh, Fox a huge thumbs up on their their Grease live performance. But I am disappointed now to hear that later this year they're going to be doing a a re boot version of Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's really going to be a reboot version of Rocky Horror Show. Um, but it will not be live. They're just going to like shoot it like a movie. It's going to have Adam Lambert in it and it's, you know, some other people. And they're just basically going to shoot it like a like a movie reboot, like a uh, an updated version of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Why do that? I don't get it. If you're going to do it, do it live. That's the only reason to do these damn things. If you're going to remake Rocky Horror Picture Show, then remake it as a movie. Don't do it as a made-for-TV network. I mean, that's, a again, pretty raw musical. It's got it's all about sex. It oozes sex, but it's like dirty, dark, violent sex in that movie. Uh, but but very funny all the way through. And I just I don't understand the allure of remaking it but not doing it live i don't get it so i I have very low expectations for the rocky horror picture show version but greece i thought they nailed so maybe if it's any indication fox does know what they're doing but uh i I thought they killed it so uh, i give a huge recommendation for that if you have not watched it yet check it out at uh, fox's website and on their app i don't steal it Let me tell you about a couple of shows that are happening right now that I've just caught a couple of the first couple episodes of, but I am feeling pretty high about both of them, and I just want to go ahead and tell you you might want to look for them on television. One of them you can't miss, but this one, the first one I want to start out with is one that is going under the radar a lot for whatever reason. Maybe it's because it's on TBS and nobody really knows what to expect from TBS anymore, but the people running programming there know what they're doing now with Samantha Bee's new show and with the one I'm about to tell you about. This is a show called Angie Tribeca, and Angie Tribeca is only two episodes into its first season run, and already it's been renewed for a second season. The show is created by the great Steve Carell and his wife, Nancy Walls Carell, who you may remember from. The, she was also on The Daily Show uh, back in her day when she was just Nancy Walls, and uh, Angie Tribeca stars in the title role, Rashida Jones. How can you not like Rashida Jones? She is gorgeous. She's so funny. Uh, she's so likable. She's like the most likable actress, I feel like, period. Um, and here she is starring in this show. Hayes McArthur is her co-star. I didn't really, I was not familiar with him, but he's proven to be funny in the first couple episodes, and you got to be funny to be on this show. And Jerry Burns, who um, I, I thought had a, an outstanding role in FX is Justified, which is a show I talked about on our first episode of The Stream Police ever. Um, he played Win Duffy on that show. If you if you watched it, you know who I'm talking about. He's got those great eyebrows and just that really. He's just got kind of like an intimidating face on him. It always kind of looks like he's like licked a lemon or something. Uh, but he stars uh, co-stars in this as uh, the chief of police, I believe, is what he is, or he's like the lieutenant. 
or something over Angie Tribeca and her her partner. She's a she's a detective, uh, a police detective, and you know it's a crime procedural half hour every week. But it's it's a total comedy. It's thirty minute uh, police comedy. So wacky though with the jokes. It's one of those jo- shows where it's like a hundred jokes every minute are thrown at you visually. Uh, you know, in the script, it's like everything that is said is a joke. Now, this might be exhausting to you. So if you don't like the litmus test as to whether or not you're going to like Angie Tribeca is simple. Do you like Airplane? Do you like any of Leslie Nielsen's movies, Wrongfully Accused or the uh, Naked Gun films, Spy Hard? Any of the do you like any of those movies? If you do, Austin Powers, those kind of films. If you like those kind of movies that are heavy on visual gags, that are heavy on just dumping jokes on you at a ridiculous like machine gun rate. If you like that kind of thing, you will really like Angie Tribeca. If you don't, then you are going to hate this show. It is totally in the vein. If Leslie Nielsen were still with us, he would be in and he would probably be playing the police chief or lieutenant, uh, and I would have to imagine. I mean, this is this show is so much like Naked Gun; it's ridiculous. It's basically like a ripoff of Naked Gun, the Police Files, um, and and put for a uh, you know a, a current audience with a female in the lead role. And Rashida Jones hangs with it so well; she's very funny, so dry. Um, and I've just I've been laughing so hard at this show; it's like hard to keep up with the jokes. You almost want to watch each episode twice. Just because you you miss a hundred jokes every time because everything that is said is a joke and everything that's in the background is a joke. It's just it's almost too much at times, but it is so funny and I just I want to see what goes on in the writers' room here because it's just it's the zaniest writing I've seen. Like I said, since Leslie Nielsen passed away, so I'm glad somebody's picking up the torch for this kind of writing. This get smart, naked gun esque kind of stuff, and uh, Steve Carell and Nancy Wallace Carell have done a nice job so far with this show. I'm really interested to see where it goes. I could see it getting old quickly, but it, as long as it stays really funny and they introduce more characters, I think it will be really good. And so far, it's had really great cameos in it. Like a lot of good, dependable actors have been in each episode so far. So. Angie Tribeca, right now on TBS, it's two episodes in. It's already been renewed for a second season. Um, check it out if you see it on. It's not one of those you have to worry about getting caught up in continuity. Just watch an episode when you see it on, and if you like one episode, you're probably going to like all of them. But currently it's on TBS on Monday nights at 9 o'clock. And I'm loving Monday nights right now, by the way, because Fox has the X-Files reboot. That's one of my all-time favorite shows from uh, my wife and I. That show, we hold that very dear to our hearts because uh, as we were, you know, kind of just first married, we watched every episode of that show together over a couple of years. It took us a while to get through all of them, but um, we just, we loved watching that show together. So I've been, I've been really liking the the little reboot they've done. And then that's on at eight. And then Angie Tribeca's on at nine. And then Better Call Saul season two is going to be coming out at 10 o'clock on Monday. So Monday's kind of like where it's at on television and Gotham will be back. So it's just good stuff on Mondays. One reason I actually like that damn day. Um, final show I wanted to tell you about is on FX right now. And as I said, you probably can't miss it even if you try. It's been dominating social media. People have been buzzing about it a lot. It's The People versus O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story, directed by Ryan Murphy, who did uh, the American Horror Story franchise for FX, their most popular show, written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. And uh, these guys are the screenwriting team who wrote movies like Ed Wood, The People versus Larry Flint, and Man on the Moon, three very good movies from the uh, last you know, 20 years in cinema. 
So these guys can handle their own. They've also kind of written some crappy stuff, too, but they can hold their own for sure. And The People versus O.J. Simpson, I've only seen the first episode as of talking to you right now, but i got to tell you, it was a really, really good pilot episode. And it's one that I think just has... Uh, it's going to have a lot of steam because you, you you really realize as you're watching this first episode unfold, you're like, first off, how are they going to do a whole season of a show based on one criminal case? And now, granted, this was like the biggest celebrity criminal case of all time, but how are you going to do a whole show based on one murder and trial? And I mean, how how do you do that? The answer is because this this trial still has so many implications today as far as race relations in America. It, it and the show frames it in that way. We are opening. We open the entire season with shots of Los Angeles burning, just flames all over the city, um, riots happening. We hear uh, we we see some of the video of Rodney King getting beaten up by police officers. We hear the soundbite of him saying, "Can't we just get along? Can't we all get along?" I mean, it, it makes it does not try to hide the fact that this show is trying to make you think about the O.J. Simpson trial in the light of everything we've seen the last few years with race relations when it comes to policing and uh, and criminal law in the United States of America. And I think. It's a wise choice. It gives a lot more relevance to this show than just, hey, remember the OJ trial? Let's redo that again. Let's do a scene inside the Bronco. Let's do a scene. Let's have him put the glove on. Let's make Johnny Cochran funny. It's and Let's show the Kardashians. It's not just that, though. There's a lot more at stake here. And I think what this show is going to have to say about race is going to be very important. Now, it was written and directed by a bunch of white guys. So, all right, maybe rings a little hollow as far as that goes. But I really like the pilot episode. The acting's all first rate. Uh, we got David Schwimmer doing the best work I think he's ever done in his career. He plays Robert Kardashian, a great friend of OJ, who joins his legal, uh, his, his great dream team of lawyers, as they were called. We've got John Travolta in one of the creepiest performances I've ever seen from him. Maybe the creepiest outside of Face Off is probably the only one I can think of. But he he's just, he plays Robert Shapiro, and he's just so weird and just like kind of gross as you his mannerisms and everything. But he's very solid. Cuba Gooding Jr. is O.J. Simpson, um, and a guy who really just seems I don't know. It seems like he's got a lot of demons that uh, we're going to see revealed throughout the course of this season. And he's charismatic, though. And how can you you know not like O.J. back then? And um, we've got uh, Sarah Paulson is playing Marsha Clark, and she's got that great curly hair. And she's, uh, you know, finally like playing a normal part in a normal series instead of, you know, one of these dark, nightmarish creatures from the American Horror Story franchise where she's got two heads or she's like this you know, ghost stuck in limbo, this insane drug addict. So it's it's kind of cool to see her playing in the light for once and playing like a normal woman um, with neuroses and everything else. So uh, it, this is an exciting show, I think, and I'm, I'm into it, man. I, I think this miniseries format is going to be great for telling this story. And the way they ended the pilot episode was so awesome and just built to make you – it was the like the ultimate hook to get you to watch the second episode – I really liked it. I did my biggest complaint about the People versus O.J. Simpson, though, in the first episode, a little too heavy on the Kardashian worship or on the novelty of, oh, it's the Kardashians. Look at them. There was I, I shit you not. The first time you meet the first time you meet David Schwimmer as Robert Kardashian, he looks he basically looks right into the camera. 
I mean, he's looking right past it, but he's basically looking right at the audience, and he says his full name. He's like, hey, I'm Robert Kardashian. He's talking to a police officer, but it's he might as well just be telling you. He wants to get that last name out there. The writers wanted people across the room to go, oh, Kardashian, who the hell's that? Is that, is that oh, my God, oh, my God. And then later in the show, we get Chris Kardashian, who's played by Selma Blair, in uh, she's at Nicole Brown Simpson's funeral, and she just you know in a quick aside, just it takes like less than ten seconds, but it's so goddamn distracting. She yells, you know, Chloe and Courtney, stop running, stop it, and she's basically scolding these like little girls that you see from in silhouette from far down the hallway. Why do we need this? I mean, okay, I get it. They're big celebrities now. They're huge. They've got billions of Twitter followers between them those sisters but why do we need why do we have to be reminded that they exist in this show i mean this the show's big enough we don't really we don't need to see the little kardashian girls i i could have done without that it just felt a little too obvious and it felt honestly kind of like playing to a crowd that i don't think is going to be really interested in this show's for the in this show for the right reasons so as a show that takes a look at the ongoing race relations problem between uh, between African Americans and uh, law enforcement and the legal system. I think this could be an important show. We'll see how they do it. Also, as an acting showcase for a lot of very good actors, is really where this show I think is going to succeed in the long run. The writing was good in the first uh, first episode. Aside from those Kardashian references, the writing was very good, I felt, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they've got in the tank for the rest of the season. That show is right now airing on FX. It's called The People versus O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson in a knit cap from two blocks away is still O.J. Simpson. It's no disguise. It's no disguise. It makes no sense. It doesn't fit. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Uh, as always, really appreciate you guys tuning in uh, and listening here. Uh, make sure and tell your friends because uh, the more subscribers we get, just the better for everybody. And I think, I, you know, I believe in this show. I think this is the best show about entertainment, about movies, television, and music that there is. I think Andy and I, we know what we're talking about. We try to steer you guys in the right direction. We do it all on our free time. And we just we do it because we love to, not because we have celebrity pals that we have to impress and that we have to talk to and bring on the show for their irritating points of view on on all these things and their opinions because their opinions are better because they're famous i mean we all know that's not true so we try to give it to you straight on this show and we try to have a good time doing it so really really uh, it comes from the bottom of our hearts and we're very passionate about it so thank you guys so much give us five star ratings and Tell your friends about it uh, because, you know, we do not have like an email marketing campaign or anything to get the show, uh, get the word about the show out there. So we definitely appreciate the word of mouth. Next time on The Stream Police, going to be talking a lot about the Oscars. I will at least. I'm going to tell you about the best actors to never win an Oscar because I did have a listener request that I bring that up a little bit. So I'll be talking about it, including my favorite actor of all time, the guy I worship more than any other actors. He's never won an Oscar. I'm going to talk about him and all the other ones that never won the gold. I'll also be uh, telling you about my top 10 movies of 2015. I'll run down the whole list and my favorite performances of 2015 as these films hit DVD and streaming. So that'll be next time on The Stream Police. Once again, I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. And uh, thanks. I want to say thanks for our music editor, Andy Sedlak, and thank him as well for his two cents again this week. We'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you very much for tuning in. Be careful out there.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.